0: In to the Ocean podcast.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the OSINT Curious webcast. This is not going to work. Um, my name is Micah Hoffman, and I am here. Bleh, I'm that. That's even worse. Micah Movember
0: Hoffman. Well, uh, luckily it's the first of December, so that's you, right. Can, yeah, you can yeah, shave. Yeah.
1: I can <laughs> shave, and I shave really quickly.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Uh, for those of you that were watching uh, or listening on the podcast, I just ripped my beard off. It was it was tragic and dramatic. Dramatic, Som- dramatic. dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, Welcome to the webcast and podcast. Uh, so good to to be with everybody today. I'm joined by my guests here, uh, Nico Dachosengai. Hi, everybody. I got Sector 035. Hi. (laughs) And (laughs) last but certainly not least, uh, co-host, Kirby Plessis.
2: Hello. Welcome, everyone.
1: Welcome, welcome. And we are joined with by uh, several attendees that are joining us live on our Zoom platform. Today, we're going to do a little bit of something different. Uh, Nico, do you want to describe what we're going to do? Because uh, I, yeah, I, I sure. think this is a cool idea.
0: Well, I, I came across um, a tweet uh, last week from Sin Windy, and he tweeted his favorite Google dork. And I was like, that's that may be a cool idea to ask all of our listeners and viewers to do, to send their favorite Google Dork, So your favorite Google search with maybe a site colon or an PDF operator or whatever you do and share it with the hashtag. Oh shit. Curious. So we can collect them. We can learn from them. We can share it with the community and maybe put it up on a blog post so that others can keep learning from it till, until, the end of time. So people we challenge you share your favorite Google Dork with us with the hashtag OSINTCurious. curious and I will make sure I will share a few of my
1: own. Awesome. So why don't we start with you? Uh, Nico, uh, what, what is, uh, one of your favorite Google dorks and uh, you're going to have to tweet this out too, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, a few years ago i
0: already tweeted it out i really like to search for pdf and excel format documents with domain extensions like uh, .gov or .mil or you know those top level domains of government military and find those juicy secretist documents where you can learn from or not it's just uh something i like to geek out on and read papers that you were not supposed to read, but they're still out there. So somebody either made a mistake or, you know, I like those. And I also like looking for, um, well, in general, I just like looking for documents, I guess, because documents have, uh, well, they share phone numbers, they share um, email addresses of, for instance, companies, um, but also financial reports from companies. I like to search for those. So, you can think of maybe annual report, site, uh, uh, site on your, your domain of interest, maybe a large company, as well as has to be file type PDF or doc or docx, something like that. I like those. I'll share a few this week on okay. my Twitter.
1: What about you, Kirby?
2: I, I love looking for Excel spreadsheets, kind of like you said, but to kind of move off since I don't want to like double up, here's another one that I really like. And that is looking for when you have pretty unique username, maybe you already know an email address and the beginning is pretty unique to search for other email addresses like that. So for example, if you have somebody who's using, you know, a Mail, and they have the beginning and their username is pretty unique, they probably have a Gmail. They probably have, a, you know, a Yahoo or an old Hotmail or whatever, maybe with the same um you know beginning username for it so i'll put it in quotes put an asterisk a, a, in place of you know the at and whatever and then end it with the, with a com and sometimes you'll come up with a hotmail.com gmail.com those other free emails that are have the .com so
1: nice nice and that's helpful for user enumeration too that's terrific right now, before I move on to sector here, um, Nico and Kirby, do you, downloading random doc files and Excel spreadsheets and PDFs online, that sounds a little dangerous. Do you, what, what steps do you do to make sure that you don't get infected by any of that, those silly viruses yeah. or macro viruses and stuff like that?
0: Absolutely good question. I always do it in an, a containerized virtual machine. So I like to spin up either VirtualBox or VMware and I have my own Linux distribution just for that, and that's not connect, it it's not able to connect to the rest of my uh, well, normal operating system or machine. It's just a container.
2: Yeah, I kind of do kind of like that, but I put it in a Windows iteration. And the reason I do that is so I can run FOCA because I want to get the metadata out of all those as well. Which I, I mean, you can run FOCA in Linux if you put together your own instance, but yep.
1: you know, I just make it easy. Cool. What about you, Sector? Yeah, I
3: already um, tweeted my answer back uh, in the day uh, <laughs> to uh, Sin Windy, and that was the extension SQL and mm. in text PHP myadmin SQL dump. So just there's still 20k uh, search hits on Google, just SQL dumps with lots of nice juicy information in there.
1: And for those of you that don't know what SQL dumps are, they're a standard correct, uh, structured query language. That's the, the database, the language that databases uses. So when databases use um, to store their data. So when you have a database of phone numbers or emails or, or forums and you want to save all that stuff from the database, you export it to a file, name it .SQL to say, hey, this is a SQL file, and then you store it. But that should never, or in most cases, not be retrievable by sector 0.3.5. And that's what you're finding, right? Th-
3: that's one of the things you find. Uh, the other way that an SQL file is being used is to create a new and empty database. So that's another, um, another hit you will get when you uh, Google for this.
1: Yep. Wow. Cool. Um, all right, so I actually just tweeted out mine live, um, and I like looking at social media posts and social media platforms and other platforms where people mess up the permissions. And one of those, uh, my good friend, you guys might know her, Kirby Plessis, introduced me to. It's Trello. Yeah. Turns out that some also, people use. Oh, go ahead, second.
3: Oh, but. no, Trello. Hey, that's awesome. Sidetrello.com and use it. said Yeah. You can also use quotes and say password or username.
1: Yep, exactly. Just
3: have a look how much you get back.
1: So Trello is a to-do list and some people make their boards public instead of making them private. And when you look at people's, when you when you find it with a, like a site colon Trello.com, site colon data slash boards, or just like uh, what like Sector was saying, with just a keyword after the site, uh, site colon Trello.com, you'll find people's personal stuff that they have published to the internet.
2: The funny thing though is Trello is by default, it makes the boards private. So they did that to themselves, probably to share it with family members or something, who knows, but.
1: Yep. And it's indexable. So that's Mm -hmm. not so great. And there's a whole bunch. I mean, we don't want to pick on Trello or anything, um, but I mean, it's really not Trello's fault. They're making, uh, they're giving me the ability to share. Yeah, exactly. And we're just finding things that should. I think in my class, one of the things that we look at is people's Google calendars that they've made public by accident or on purpose. And uh, with simple Google dorks, you can pull that down. And of course, um, there is the Google hacking database, which is on exploit-db.com. Be careful, some um, firewalls and web proxies, note that as a hacker website or an exploit website or a malicious website, because it does have live exploits on it. But uh, one of our listeners here, uh, Mm -hmm. this is let's see, Axisosin, has uh, posted in the chat that in URL colon ASPX uh, quote search uh, will allow you to find some really cool things as well, Um, and of course, Exploit TV has.
2: I have another one for you that I just I just want to mention because it's going through Instagram and TikTok like crazy because and that's like younger people have discovered this Google Dork and it's super popular right now. You can make things public on Trello. You can also make things public in your Google Drive. Mm-hmm. So they're they're going through Google Drive looking for videos and stuff. So you don't even need to go, you know, look for like BitTorrent or whatever anymore. You search for site colon Google Drive or drive.google.com or whatever and look for the movie of your choice. And it may be sitting there in somebody's uh public repository. Guys.
1: I think that was one of the, sin windy, uh, def- that one the things that to? he shared. Yeah, it was it was right. either docs colon, docs.google.com or drive.google.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, but you can do that with Dropbox and all the other storage yep, platforms as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, because these are indexed.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. Well, thank you, everybody. And like Nico was saying earlier, we want you to stay in touch with us uh, throughout the week, throughout the month. Go ahead and give us your favorite Google dorks. Uh, remember to put the hashtag uh, OSINT on there, and we'll take a look at it. And uh, maybe we'll compile a list, Nico, or something like that and make it into a blog post. Yeah, we'll collect them. We'll think of something. Okay. Cool. All right. uh, Before we head over to the news, we do have uh, one of our participants here, 85 something, who's uh, one of our regulars, didn't ask a question that I'd like to just pose to uh, you people here, especially for sector and Dutch, since you are over in the EU. Um, The question is, uh, uh, 85 would be interested in how you handle breach data. I'm guessing how you handle using breach data for OSINT purposes, especially, from the European perspective and GDPR and laws. Who wants to start off?
0: Well, I can start off by what I know. Um, um, when it comes to government, um, when I was in government, I know they, um, they can use it only with strict, very, very, very strict um, uh, permission from the prosecutor's office. So it has to be handled case by case Uh, it depends on how heavy the case is, so um, how big of an impact it would have on someone's privacy, and that depends on um, the suspect's privacy, how much can we violate it to find the truth. And that depends. Well, if someone just stole a Snickers bar, you can imagine he won't allow it. But if someone is ready to plan a terrorist attack and, uh, and the evidence is already overwhelming then it could be allowed in specific cases. And, and when it comes to storing uh, the data, uh, well, it has to comply to GDPR laws. So you can store it, but within certain times, it needs to be hashed, it needs, it needs to be anonymized. It depends. Yeah. And it also depends on if you're a government or just a normal company. So there's some differences in there too. I don't know if sector has any other opinion, but this is just what I know from doing this. No,
3: that's absolutely correct. Uh GDPR regulations are very strict. Um government and law enforcement regulations are maybe even more strict. Um so yeah. Okay. With, with me, um, I also saw a second question because it was also a second question about what about the open Elastic uh, search databases online? Because there are tons of them. Um, yeah. Can you tell
1: people what Elastic databases are yeah, or what they're used for?
3: Uh, elastic or Elastic Search is um, it, it's, um, a big data. Uh, Solution that you can use to query structured and unstructured data very easily with a special query language, but a lot of people um, have them connected to the Internet and you can easily find them if I recall correctly Port nine three zero zero from the top of my head is the port that they use to connect to it. yeah so sometimes these databases uh contain lots of uh, good information um from a law perspective it would be very weird if you would ever get um um if if you would get approval to to maybe dive into that Uh, unless there's a very good reason because um by law you should not be able well you can expect not to be uh, granted access to that, even if they have the doors wired open. So it would be kind of illegal to do that for probably for law enforcement. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Nico. Um, From um, a journalist or private researcher perspective, I'm
1: pretty much game.
3: (laughs) I'm pretty much game.
1: So ethically and personally, you think it's okay to use uh, breach data for open source intelligence, but professionally, there may be a difference there because it's not just your ethics and your morals and your legal obligations, but it's your companies or the government's. Is that accurate, Sector?
3: Um, kind of. It, it's more of a gray area. Okay. Um, it totally also depends on what I'm researching. If I'm researching crimes against humanity, then that gray gray area shifts very easily. When I'm okay. just looking for I don't know for for a person or for whatever reason, um, I'm probably gonna abide the law a little bit more. So it it also depends on on
1: the reason why I need access to that. Okay, let's uh, shift over to uh, Kirby. What are your thoughts on using breach data for open source intelligence?
2: Yeah, I was following the discussion, um, and I know that there's been some other kind of private discussions. My opinion, I don't think that necessarily the people who are using it more actively are bad, but I generally will only I will not host any If it's out there and I can search for it at the moment of my investigation, then I'll use it for the investigation, but I'm not going to make my own repository of it.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Sorry. No, no, go ahead, Nico. Th- there's one thing which I, which I really hate is those um, um, data hoarders which, who will pay uh, hackers for breach data, which essentially helps them or, or, or uh, makes them more eager to go out and hack more, right? So that's something which I really, really am opposed to, to paying for stolen leaked breach data.
2: See, I won't pay for it, but I can, I can see where some organizations, why they would. Because, for example, if you're going to be, there's, there may be no other way to get it for a certain company, right? They want to find when their stuff, like their credit cards or whatever are breached, I can see where they're going to go and buy it. And regardless of whether it's like encouraging or not, in, in their case, it's going to be like, my group is safe. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the encouraging of it, but I can see where the rational, rationalization would be.
1: Yeah, I, I'm a little torn as, as well. Uh, personally, I figure this information is out there. Uh, most of the information's out there in some form or fashion. If I just took the time and the effort and had the storage space and uh, the elastic search or something else to index and be able to search all that data, I could collect all that data myself, but there are places out there and I'm not going to mention the sites, but there are breach data sites out there that host this data and you pay them a little bit of money per week, per month, per year, and you can run simple searches. It makes it so that you don't host that stolen data on your system, um, but it also does perpetuate the hey we're we're paying for stolen data which can absolutely alter some investigation so um i always caution people to to be careful before you use it you might you might be okay using it personally but professionally be very careful before using it make sure everybody is um is okay with it uh so uh yeah any other questions on breach data No, all right, cool. Then uh, why don't we go ahead and shift to looking at some news from around the world. Now, first thing we're gonna do is highlight some of our new Patreon. Um, this holiday season is coming up, and uh, if you would like to donate to our project to keep it up and running, to help us uh, keep the lights on and stuff, we do have a Patreon on our website, osincurio.us. Uh, this month, and it's been a month since we last did this, uh, we want to thank uh, Peter Wolf and OSINT underscore research for their uh, Patreon donations. And as always, OSINT Combine, SANS Institute, and Hunchley. All right. Let's get into some big, big stories on hate groups, hate groups and white supremacists. And for this, I'd like to turn the mic over to my buddy Dutch Osink guy for him to yeah. go for it.
0: Well, it has been like uh, a hectic month almost. Um, the Iron March breach came out or leaked on the Internet and uh, well... I think practically the whole OSINT landscape tumbled over it. Everybody wanted to grab a piece of it because it was such a treasure of data. It basically was an SQLite database with IP addresses, uh, email addresses, names, uh, um, DMs, all forum messages, um, username changes over years, periods. So you've, you got a whole in-depth glance into hate groups and, uh, Bellingcat also looked at this data, but they decided not to do an article immediately about it, but to tell the world how you could in potential go through all of this data and do your own research. So they just, uh, gave you some pivot points or at least some pointers, how to look at the data and do your own analysis. So because this is such a large amount of data, you can ha- you can answer so many research questions with this, just maybe uh how many per language were in there, how many per country, how many can I bring back to uh, an actual from a handle to an actual person, how many of there were in the military in your country or in my country or whatever of how many have like these sensitive p- positions and uh, on a download are at least um nazi orientated so there was like there's work or analysis for days months in there so one of the other thing was what i found really interesting when this breach uh, reached the internet there were some people who um, made it uh, searchable for instance you had a twitter account called the um uh, jewish worker jewish worker account and he made a website um On which you and I could search through all the data, but the far right people didn't like that. So they all reported his Twitter account to get him suspended, but also DDoS his website all the time. So you saw that, well, you had left activist, you had right activist, and you had just open source intelligence people in general all wanted. ...to at least have a look at it, or stop it. It was a really interesting time for me to see, because there are breaches every day. We just talked about it, leaks, but this one gained a lot of traction. Um, well, and you can imagine why, probably, because, well, it's, well, I think uh, after World War II... ...people should have learned a lesson by now that, but still... It was an interesting time, and for me, it was just really interesting to see how people um, did their own analysis on it. Uh, but also, we had, for instance, um, uh, Matt, who made another uh, blog post on how to um, sift to to or at least bulk extract uh, SQL Lite databases. So he looked at the leak also but his brain said well why don't I teach people how to do some bulk extractions of these these pieces of data if you for instance want to have all the email addresses or you have for instance you want to have all the phone numbers in there or whatever you can think of if you can extract it he teaches you with bulk extractor how to do it which I found really interesting because I wasn't ex- uh, that experienced with this tool, for instance. Yeah, so, that
1: tool wasn't even on my radar until Matt, uh, this is Matt Edmondson, the SANS instructor and just awesome defer OSINT dude. Yeah. So it, it was
0: that all of this happened because of one breach. And, um, I, even today, uh, Matthias Wilson, uh, made a blog post, uh, Well, pivoting off uh, the Iron March breach, I said, well, there was a breach, but now maybe you want to look into far-right groups uh, even further or deeper. How can you do that? What are the keywords? Which platforms are they on? Uh, What are the uh, unique identifiers for these groups? So uh, what are the weasel words they use uh, every now and then to start looking for them? So... I think it made a lot of things loose within the ocean landscape and and people, their brains start like really rattling and wanted to share their knowledge, which I found really interesting because in the end, it wasn't really about the far right hate group because honestly, I think they got too much attention out of this, which they don't deserve. But in general, we all learned how to do some better understanding and analysis on these kind of breaches.
1: Well, and and the interesting thing about that is that we were just talking about breach data, right? Breach data doesn't always have to be um, victims that are just normal people in the world. It could be victims that are, I mean, uh, the, the the breach data could be for targeted websites that are hosting hostile information or hate group information or other things that once it makes to it to be public um it opens up a wet world of other opportunities like and this one just came out today from the new york times where they used some data that hadn't been necessarily open until very recently um and they compiled a uh, uh, they essentially took information about uh, plane spottings over in Syria with bombing locations, with physical locations, with cockpit recordings from Russian planes. They put all those together using timelines and other things, and they made a very compelling argument that the Russians were bombing civilian targets over there in Syria. Um, so, yeah. So sometimes the data that is breach data can help us um, find atrocities and, and un- explain, understand situations.
2: Yeah, kind of ripping off of both of what you said, um, that the, these two types of breach, breach data let other people show us what they can do with it. So for example, the, the stolen, you know, credit card data or personal data from people, you, you're not going to have a lot of people diving in and kind of like showing the world what can be done with this data, but then you get certain other types of data that people look uh, morally wrong, ethically wrong, something, you know, enemy of the state or whatever it is, Whereas the actual breach data isn't considered, you know, for whatever reason to be bad. And so they, you, you kind of get an idea of what you can do with it. So,
1: Yeah. I, I think it's important to understand that, you know, when people think about breach data, they're usually thinking about those data dumps from usernames and passwords from Yahoo or LinkedIn or other things, but breach data can be any database that was bro- broken into, or it could be stuff that was, like we talked about in our very first segment, you could Google dork for the SQL database stuff that Sector was talking about, and then that's now open in the, out in the public. Yeah. Um, so, so some of this is... Uh, Some of the breach data is not necessarily breach, it's just unprotected data, I guess we could
2: call it. Even the Trello or Google documents data.
1: It's basically deep
0: web information, right? It's not indexed. Yep.
2: Yeah, okay. The one I just mentioned was indexed, but.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Except what you said, Kirby. (laughs) Um, I (laughs) I think at this point it might be a good idea to congratulate uh, Bellingcat. And and Nico, as Bellingcat's representative here, I I will congratulate you on the uh, International Emmy Award that Bellingcat uh, got recently, uh, this past month, for their amazing work, uh, the truth in a post-truth world. So congratulations.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you. It came really unexpected. It was before my time when I joined Bellingcat. I wasn't in the documentary so maybe the next one but it was uh, uh, the team was really not expecting uh, the Emmy and uh, so yeah it was yeah it's really cool to have an Emmy now on our names yeah that's very cool
1: well and I think one of the things that um I don't know if it was Elliot or somebody else mentioned was that it, it, this not legitimizes, but it brings open source intelligence, the power behind some of this investigative journalism that you all have been preaching for a while at Bellingcat, but other people have also been, been saying, Hey, you know, that investigative journalist isn't just magically getting these sources. They're hunting, they're pulling there. Yeah. They're looking at all these different places and they're using open source intelligence to put these articles together. Now we're finally getting that out into the mainstream, winning an Emmy, that's fabulous for you all and for the um community yeah. and field. So, Yeah, congrats. especially
0: that one because people still try, tend to see us. well, especially the outside world tends to see us as this, um, let's say, attic room amateurs who just like to search Google a few hours a day, but this is a profession. We do this hardcore 24 seven structured, and we learned this by doing, and we also followed classes. We are professional. So yeah, yeah what you said, it feels like some recognition. Christian uh, Tribut really said that well. Yeah, finally, we got some real recognition for being open source intelligence specialists.
2: And it shows what professionalizing it can do as well. Yeah. So again, you have like, you know, yeah. your hobbyist, you think they found something. Well, if they can structure it, they can, you know, professionalize what they're doing. Maybe they could prove their point.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yep. Cool. Well, let's take a look at uh, some other tools that are out there on the Internet. Um, Osync Combine, one of our sponsors, uh, just released this wonderful Foursquare uh, tool that uh, is really easy to use and uh osin combine's been doing a lot of blog posts lately like the one on linkedin this one and some others uh and again i mean it just helps us understand what's on foursquare and some other applications so um,
0: they're on fire
1: they are and speaking of of uh, social media i want to pop over to sector you did a, a little Twitter, uh, a little tweet right here about TikTok. TikTok is really hot in the, in the open source community, and there have been some changes to make it a little bit more secure. But, uh, Sector, you want to tell us a little bit about what you posted here?
3: Yeah. Um, was the other week? Uh, I, don't, I forgot who it was, but um, I think it was where online said, hey, is it correct that the comments aren't visible anymore in TikTok? um and you have to be logged in within for instance an app so i had a look and um i didn't know there was a huge tool for that to export all the comments but yeah i've i've written a blog post about it too i love apis and you micah you and i come from a kind of a Same background, uh, IT security, a bit of web application, pen testing. So I was really, really curious what was going on and um, whether I was able to pull comments in a different way. And uh, it is absolutely possible. You don't even need to have a cookie because even when you are just visiting the TikTok site, they give you a cookie for free. You can use that cookie one simple command and you can pull, I think it was 50 comments at a time, you can pull them in. So um, if someone else wants to, um, yeah, free cookies, Kirby, indeed. Someone, Kirby is posting in the chat free cookies. Um, so if someone else wants to uh, build a tool, it's, it. they make it really easy.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and I appreciate all your um more technical things, because I know a lot of Ocenters are focused on the browser, what I can get out of a browser using just uh, kind of uh, the the extensions and add-ons that are in there and maybe don't have access to a command line. But I know that there's a bunch of people out there that do have access to the command line and can do a, a curl command or, um, or do some other commands. And in fact, I saw this on SecJuice's website. Um, where they have gone through and done very similar to what uh, Kirby and Sector and and, uh, Technizet did on our site for Instagram. And on Secjuice.com, they've done a, hey, here's all the different pieces of information that you should take a look at on TikTok when doing OSINT on TikTok. And um, and whether it's looking at unique identifiers or uh, verified badges or just followings and followers, Kind of a neat blog post on start, how do you start your TikTok investigation. Yeah, it was an interesting one, really, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's let's uh, let's talk about something here from uh, Kirby. You tweeted out something about the Lawfare Podcast. Now, I know that you're really big into podcasts. Can you tell us about this and how it relates to kind of uh, OSINT?
2: Yeah, so Lawfare Podcast, they, it's mostly, I mean, I have to tell you, before the 2016 uh elections this might have been one of the more boring podcasts out there (laughs) but since then they're kind of jumping on everything and and that specifically that podcast if you bring that back up who they're talking to was um someone who did a lot of work on misinformation and like even the background of the whole misinformation campaigns and doctrines from russia so this is just uh i considered it one of the best podcasts out there for this it's um I, I put it in, I have a, a repository on bubble up about misinformation and, cause it's just gonna get worse, you know, coming up soon. Um, so this is one of, the, one of the key pieces I think that anyone who really wants to be kind of tracking this misinformation should, should listen to. Cause he gives a lot of tips on, on what to look for, the different doctrine, like the actual, you know, methods and to kind of follow back those methods to see what else is out there. It's just really, really good.
1: And for those of you that are listening to our podcast, this uh, podcast that Kirby's referring to is the Lawfare Podcast, L-A-W-F-A-R-E Podcast. And the title of this episode is Ben Nimmo on the Whack-A-Mole Game of Disinformation from November 21st, 2019. Really neat, Kirby. Thanks. Now, I think going back to Nico, we I think you were the one that brought up this article uh, from First Draft News on the not-so-simple science of social media bots. Yeah, it basically um, tells you step-by-step
0: step how you can detect bot behavior or troll behavior or um, discrepancies in behavior by uh, a group of similar not human accounts so could be but not all bots need to be bad right you know but it i found it really interesting to see it has a lot of background and also ac- academic background papers on uh, people who've done research about the the whole bot landscape uh, that has been on the rise for the last well, five to 10 years, and especially the last two years, it really has become like the talk of the town, like every day, everywhere, almost, or at least where I come. Maybe I should hang out in other places. Uh,
1: (laughs) That's possible.
0: Yeah, but but I found it really interesting because a lot of people, especially when I do lectures or talks, people uh, come up to me afterwards and almost... Every time I get one or two questions in, about how to detect bots or bot networks, I think looking at this blog post from first draft, uh, first draft you'll get enough information to start making sense of how uh, a bot or a bot network can work. As well as academic research, so the the post by itself is pretty long. But when you click all the links which refer to the academic research and all that kind of things, you well, it will take a few days to get it all in and digest it. And it's really interesting. I found it really, really interesting to to learn a lot more about uh, bot behavior. Cool. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Nico. All right, let's switch back to the world of the podcast. Here we have Chad Loader, or I guess it's Loader, uh, from Twitter. Uh, he noted that Apple introduced a feature in iOS 13 that automatically transcribes and indexes every podcast episode so you can do a full test search. Has anybody actually done that, Kirby? Have you used these?
2: I haven't, and uh, you know I'm a podcast addict, but I yeah. have not really done a lot of the searching of the transcripts yet. It, I mean, I love the idea that you can, absolutely, but
1: cool have yet. Yeah, something to look into. And this is the actual article right here on cultofmac.com, and we'll take a look at that, or we'll put that in the show notes. Now... Um, One of the other social media platforms that people go on is Snapchat. And Snapchat is doing something very similar to what Facebook did. Nico, I think you noticed the Facebook ad tool that was out there where you could, uh, without an account, pull down uh, information about demographics of what ads were delivered to what places. Carl Jack Miller on Twitter tweeted out something uh, this past month, and he mentioned that Snapchat has a CSV that you can pull down with the same type of information. Really interesting. Yeah. Have, yeah. Has anybody taken a look at this file yet?
0: Yeah, I, pu- I pulled them all uh, down. To, <laughs> it's, it's from the last three years, and I- Of fruit- course. I threw them into Gephi, and I compared them to... uh, What I immediately did was compare it to uh, the information I pulled from Facebook to see if there were similarities in time and companies trying to target uh, their campaign in the same time zone, but targeting a different platform. And what I noticed, there's a real difference between the two platforms, and that I found really interesting. And also it makes sense because Snapchat, at least in my opinion, is more and more used by the younger generation. And Facebook is more for the older people. So you have a different type of interest. But still, it was interesting to see uh, certain groups uh, target uh, a same audience with an od- with a different narrative. So, But also it's interesting to see some firms have like names, which I like was, what's that firm buying for $4,000 of uh, advertisements? So there's there's some research in there still, because there are some strange company names in there, which I would like to dig into just to get a better understanding of who's buying advertisements on Snapchat for which narrative, and are they as,
1: as honest as they look? Right, so maybe there's those are shell companies or yeah. or other companies that are fronting for some other organization. Yeah, yeah, interesting, cool. All right, um, now we're going to get into uh, two of our last uh, pieces of news here. One is uh, Vortimo or Vortimo. Yeah, and...
0: I, I, I had to come back to
1: that because I okay. called them
0: out, right? I yeah. called them out. I was like, well, there are so many buttons you need to tell people how they worked, and well.
1: <laughs> yep, did, and they-
0: did, did he make some uh, tutorials he made two tutorials which were really in-depth and really good and now we got a better understanding of Fortimo so I I just wanted to say thank you I really appreciate you that you take t- took the time and and tell us how it works Fortimo so people if you want to know check it out
2: I love the time stamping as well.
1: Yeah. yeah, so you can jump to right where you are. Um, yeah, you so, don't just look
2: at this forty-minute thing and be like, uh, "What?" You know.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Nico, can you just uh, briefly mention what Vortimo is? Well, Fortimo basically sits in your browser and
0: it records your um, research surfing behavior and you can tag persons of interest, you can label things which are interesting for you. It can highlight stuff which you want to have highlight to get a quicker glance or understanding of what you're looking for. yeah, cool. you can you can take notes, uh, tag things,
1: everything. So uh, yeah, so it's, similar to Paliscope, Punchly, and yeah, um,
0: yeah, it's a typical oh um, tracking your information and reporting tool. Okay, yeah.
1: cool, and it's in beta still, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. Okay, awesome. Last thing here, and I'm throwing this in. I'm going to be asking you for your comment on this, Kirby, since I know that you are an SEO person. Uh, search engine optimization. Uh, this is a website uh, called app.samuelschmidt.com, and it, the application is called Thru, T-H-R-U-U-U. It's a search engine response parser or a search engine response page analyzer. You type in something here like OSINC Curious. I'm just going to throw it in there. Um, You tell it what location you want and what search engines you want. You can see it has a bunch of different Googles, and I believe it has some of the other ones that are non – nope, it's all Google. Um, And then what it will do is it will pull up information. Now, once you click on the – Information that's respond that the response pages, it will show you information about the pages that those refer to, including meta tags and headings and other things. And then as you scroll down, it analyzes that information even further. Um, Kirby, do you have any thoughts about this? Um, I thought this was just neat. You're you're muted right now, just to let you know.
2: Sorry. That's yeah. Okay. So I do have some thoughts about it um, for like, for the regular awesome person who's not trying to make their pages come up to the top of the page. They may think this is not useful to them, but I would argue it is if you learn about SERP then you're going to learn about why certain pages come to the top and you're going to be able to search better to, for the pages that maybe don't come to the top. So you know how to focus your searches. So right now, I mean, you're seeing these keywords and that sort of stuff. If we go back up toward the very top um, you may, in that list, that listing right there, you may be able to see you know, which one came to the top and then kind of why over on the side. So um, I haven't used this specific tool, but there's a bunch of other tools that I do use for this sort of thing to kind of help me learn what comes to the top. And there's another case for it as well, privacy. Say that you have one of your results in there that you don't want people to find. Go in there, find out why it's ranking so high, figure out how to beat it and push it back down. Right, why is Dutch? Osengai. guy.
1: Oh, um, nothing. I, I didn't know I was still sharing that. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, yeah. There's a but bunch yeah. of these type of, um, SERP um, tools as well, or, or even keyword tools to help you, you know, identify which keywords are going to come to the top. Uh, for there's, there's a lot of them out there. My favorite, I think, um, oh, like Uber suggests is a good keyword tool. There's okay. some other things like this. Yeah.
1: Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's all the news we have, Uh, Kirby Dutch uh, Sector. Do you have any other news you want to throw out there?
2: Nope. Uh, Nope. Not at the moment. I did just post about um, our challenge for the Google dorks. We're getting some replies, so hopefully people will get get on that.
1: Very cool. Mm All right. Then let us go ahead and mention one other thing as people are – starting to think about uh, holiday shopping, we at OSINT Curious Project are going to be having a Redbubble store once they approve us to have that store where you can get our OSINT Curious logo placed on a variety of products from clothing to stickers to other things. Instead of having to meet us in person to get your OSINT Curious sticker, you'll be able to go to redbubble.com and get your own. Um, Please stay uh, just watching our Ocean Curious Twitter account. We will tweet that out, and I'm sure we'll hit it up on other social media platforms as well. All right, with that said, how about we transition into shameless self-promotion? Nico, why don't you tell people anything you want? Uh,
0: Again, people, share those Google dorks. Hashtag Ocean Curious. Keep in mind, Try not to share the malicious ones or the strange ones. Just the friendly Google, uh, ocean for good ones.
1: Okay, some wise words there. De- should we put and remember to put uh, hashtag NSFW uh, if there's any ones that might pull out know, some huh? things that yeah. people shouldn't be looking at at work. All right, thanks, Nico uh, Kirby.
2: Um, I have a class coming up in Florida, and that's going to be the second week or third week, I think, of January, and it's an open enrollment class, so if anybody's interested, it's for law enforcement and investigators. You can go to either pluses.net slash events or send an email at info at pluses.net.
1: Cool. All right, and I will go next here. I've got a couple of things uh, SANS-related. Uh, our cyber defense initiative starts off in two weeks and uh, teaching uh, a newer version of my OSINT class, which is going to be really cool. Uh, OSINT Techniques from the Twitterverse is going to be there as well as Ginsburg. Uh, he'll be with me in the room. Cool. Also, um, at, sci- at CDI... We're gonna be having uh, the OSINT person, the uh, missing person CTF uh, from Trace Labs. They're gonna be doing a two day event for us over there. And there are a huge number of people that are signed up. Uh, The people that are taking a SANS class are gonna get priority to register for the event, but I think there's gonna be plenty of opportunities for people people from the community that want to take part in finding missing people uh, for free at the Washington DC CDI event. to participate, Uh, please register. Uh, There's a button on the page here and it'll be in the show notes. And lastly, we have a huge, huge, huge price break in the OSINT Summit. This is an OSINT um, conference over in Virginia in the United States in February. It's a one-day conference for just February 18th. After that is uh, training classes, which you don't have to attend, but it's $175 to go to the training class instead of eight hundred and ninety-five. But to do that, you need to enter in the uh, coupon code OSINTPOD POD20. That's OSINT. POD20, to get a special price of $175 on the Open Source Intelligence Summit. And
2: that's huge for SANS yeah. because the, that price never goes down that low.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's terrific. And it should be great. I know, Kirby, I think you're planning on being there. Is that right? And Nico, we're trying to get you to come over. Yeah, I, I and. So. Yeah, and there's going to be some really other cool people there as well. So come hang out with us. Oh, I think we're actually going to be doing a live broadcast from the uh, OSINT Summit. So uh, we'll be recording a webcast. That's going to be really neat. Last but certainly not least, and I appreciate you being patient here, Sector035, tell us uh, whatever you want to tell us.
3: Oh, I was almost asleep. No, just kidding. (laughs) Um, I got no real self-promotion. Just wait for another 12 hours, and the new newsletter is being uh, sent out on Twitter and on Medium, and that's about it. Got nothing else planned. Going to take it easy, just like last year, end of December, early January, no newsletter. So get them while it's hot.
1: Cool. And can you tell uh, people that are listening on your podcast uh, what the URL is to your current newsletter
3: absolutely Um, you can find it on my twitter account at sector 035 every monday morning that is 7 a.m. UTC time and else you can find it on medium.com forward slash week dash in dash OSINT
1: very cool Thank you, sir, and thank you to all of our guests who have been amazing in helping us to do this uh, podcast webcast and providing us interesting questions and other things. Really appreciate that, and uh, thank you to my co-hosts here, Nico, Kirby, and Sector. Really appreciate uh, you and all the things that you're doing. and. Please, please, please remember to go ahead and uh, tweet out those Google dorks that you find interesting and useful. And have a great couple of weeks. Until we see you again, stay us and curious. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.